So welcome to Sacred Reading at Brandon High School, The Nickel Boys, the last episode of the podcast. I am Mrs. Huff and with me today is... Everybody, it's Miss Sperano. It's great to be here with you. And I just found out actually this morning that this book won the Nobel Prize. Oh my gosh, no surprise, no surprise. Yeah, so this author has won back-to-back Nobel Prizes for books that we have. And the end of this book just left me in tears. Yes. Oh my gosh. Totally. Um, I don't think I saw it coming. I just, I didn't see it coming. And the, the author is also really good to look at. Just want to throw that out there in case anybody didn't know. He's a very handsome man in addition to being an incredible, an incredible author. Yes. And we have more than just this book too. The Media Center, when we do open again, also has The Underground Railroad, his previous book that won. Fantastic. What an amazing, what an amazing accomplishment. And um, I was at the end of my seat. So today we want to talk about a quote on page 196. And we're going to use Lectio Divina again, which is our four-step process where we look at literally what's going on, allegorically, how is this like something in another text or the broader world? Personally, how can we relate to it? And then what is the book calling us to do from this? So on page 196, the first full paragraph after the italics says, when he was little, he kept a lookout on the dining room of the Richmond Hotel. It had been closed to his race and one day it would open. He waited and waited. In the dark cell, he reconsidered his vigil. The recognition he sought went well beyond brown skin. He was looking for someone who looked like him, for someone to claim his kin, for others to claim him as kin, for those who saw the same future approaching, slow as it may be, and over fond of back roads and secret hard scrabble paths, attuned to the deeper music in speeches and hand-painted signs of protests those ready to commit their weight to the great lever and move the world. They never appeared in the dining room or anywhere else. So Elwood is, is um, you know, he's in solitary at this point and he is, you know, trying to fight with himself and hold on to his, to his beliefs and his aspirations. And he's, you know, remembering the words of Dr. King, but he gets to a point where He's feeling like, you know, the, the faces he's looking for, the faces like his are not going to appear at the Richmond Hotel and everything that he had believed in and everything that he had started to get involved in before he was sent to Nickel in, in protesting and, and fighting for equal rights uh, was slipping away for him, from him and he was starting to lose hope. And then the very next paragraph, the door opens. So um, it's, you feel him, you literally feel him start to lose the hope and to start to feel as though there's not going to be anybody there to help move the lever and move the world and that he was never going to see people like him in the dining room. And then Turner opens the door. Yes, Turner is there to help him escape. Um, and Turner says, you're dumb and I'm stupid when asked about it. Um, and I, I like the symbolism there of Turner being the one who appears and that in the darkest moment right after that, Turner appears in silhouette and, and there's a bit of lightness. Also quoting Dr. King right before that brings me back to what I was talking about with Ms. Fowler last week. That quote about 
you know, we, with our capacity for suffering, we will win you over was really hard for me. Uh, and here I see that it's hard for Elwood as well. And that he is just at the point of giving up on it when Turner does come around. Turner has been won over by Elwood's capacity. So when we think about how this reflects the broader world, and we think about other texts and other things we've read as well in allegory, often in character arcs, you see this, the darkness before dawn and that something is always hardest right before it gets better. But in this book, I think that gives us a little bit of false hope. That if, we, if we think about, oh, his trial is finally ending and he has someone on his side and they're going to make it together. And, and you almost forget for a minute that the whole rest of this book has been just one man talking to us. That's right. And that even in the previous section, he said, you know, why am I here when my friend is not to the, as he was remembering in the bar after the marathon, you get set up based on all other literature to expect this to have a better ending than it does. But, but yet the author does, I believe, intend for the ending to be joyful in some respect. He sure. expects us to find some celebration in the fact that Elwood is um, vindicated, and yeah. he's he's vindicated by Turner by Turner's life and Turner's memory, and Turner heading to Tallahassee. That Turner became a good man. That Turner worked hard to find his way in the world and to make his own company and make something of himself that Turner wanted to stand up and be a stand-up guy that he says he honors his friend and lives for him. Absolutely. And then also the very end Turner eating in the Richmond hotel. Right. Which is now called Blondie's. <laughs> yes. Which is very also kind of ironic, right? So um, we've whitewashed it. <laughs> right. We've, white we've whitewashed it, but Going back to Dr. King's quote, our victory will be a double victory, right? So it was a personal victory for Turner. Mm -hmm. And um, it was Elwood's victory that he wanted from the beginning, which was to see people that looked like him eating at the hotel and and Turner's being served, you know, by a white teenager who tells him he can sit anywhere he wants. And so that's not obviously something that Elwood got to live to experience. But, you know, he's vindicated. And I noticed the spot where it discusses Elwood falling. Um, it kills me that the van that came out to do it was the community service van. Right. The same van that gave him that little piece of freedom for that short time, right? And that the name of it calling it a community service to do this. Right. And that the housemaster who is mean misses in the shot and it is Harper who took him out on all of those community service runs and said you know there but for the grace of God go I you know I could be in you guys' shoes and he's the one who takes aim and he's the one who shoots Turner or who shoots Elwood and the fact that Elwood's hands fly out and his fingers spread out when he falls right that that is 
the him falling in the sign of the cross is That's not right. lost on me. Right, right. And and so I I, I actually I want to I want to go back. I mean. Elwood is not vindicated by the fact that Turner is eating in, in, in the former hotel. So that, that I, I didn't choose my words carefully, but um, you know, there, there's definitely irony in that. And, and the fact that Turner can't remember, he knows there was a story, but he, but he says that he couldn't recall the story associated with the Richmond hotel, but that it was a story that, that Elwood had no doubt told Turner, you know, when they spent all that time together at Nickel. So there, there's no, there's to this day, I don't think that the proper justice has been done to um, to the the young men who lost, you know, their life at at the Dozier School, which is what this book is is based on. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that our author Colson Whitehead does an amazing job in honoring them. Yeah. So you said he's not vindicated, but our quote had said, um, you know, that what he was looking for was for others to claim him as kin, you know, for there to be those who would help move the grand lever of the world with their weight. Right. And Turner has tried to live his life in a way that Elwood wanted so that Turner has become those kin and he is there in that dining room. That's, that's true. And He's about to tell the story. You right. know, he he identifies that the boys from the White House, who are now men, are going to be there at the press conference, but he's going to go speak. You know, he's going to go speak for the for the black boys. He's going to go speak for who are now men, and and what they endured, and to um, point out the atrocities. You know, identify and expose the atrocities that that took place there. And in doing so, he's going to expose that he's been living a lie. He is. And that's why he says his license doesn't matter anymore. He'll have to redo it when he gets back and that he can't see beyond this. But I think it's interesting you say that it's irony because of course it's not vindication, just that there's someone who listens, who, who eats there, that that's not enough. It is that dramatic irony and that we know what happened. We know the significance, even if Turner cannot remember it, but it also leaves that bitter taste in your mouth that Elwood doesn't get what he really needs he gets to live his life. He gets to, well, he gets to live his life on his terms. He reported it, but Turner says, I should have just burned that letter. And Elwood gets to see Turner in the shadows and saving him, but it's for nothing. He doesn't get to move the lever of the world the way he wants to. Or, or does he? I mean, is, would, would any of this, would any of what Turner does with his life would any of that happened had it not been for Elwood life sacrifice? So mm -hmm. if Elwood hadn't, if the letter had been burned and Elwood hadn't been put into solitary and Turner hadn't busted Elwood out, you know, so, so the chain of events impacted Turner's life and, and, and albeit, albeit it wasn't a, a positive, a, you know, an overly positive life. He had a lot of struggles, but at the end of the day, Turner is the lever, right? He he is a lever and he has contributed to, to the community and to the world and he has represented people of color as as being contributing members of society and and business people and and um and having and deserving and having all of the rights that Elwood wanted to see black Americans get the same rights that Elwood believed that they that they deserved um under the Constitution. And so So Elwood saves Turner. Right. 
so so really elwood it is i mean your analogy to to you know the the cross and and and, and he is a he is a sacrifice um that that's that very well could could have saved many many more people and and potentially saved turner yeah you mentioned that this is based on the dozier school Mm. So let's talk about personal connections. I know Mr. Thompson said he remembers this school. Uh, he remembers, his whole family remembers the bad taste, the, the fear around it growing up in Tallahassee. I just remember when the stories came out. And I, I grew up here. I, you know, I've, I've lived, other than college, I've lived in Brandon my whole life. And, that, and when I was in college, I was in Gainesville a little closer. I had never even heard of the Dozier School until the reports of the bodies came out after it closed down. I was teaching when it was open. It worries me that I didn't know. It worries me that I didn't know that a place like this existed in this state. Mm. Uh, you know, that I was teaching and had students who have been in trouble and who have gone to an alternative school and come back. And I, I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything about those alternative schools. I don't know anything about this one other than what's come out in the papers. Right. Um, yeah, and, and not being from here originally, I, you know, being from New York, the only thing that I can parallel this with, even even close, would be um, would be Willowbrook, which was a, an institution. Um, for the men, what we called at that time, mentally retarded adults and children, you know, back in the day, people, you know, had babies that were born with special needs, you know, all along the spectrum from, from high functioning special needs to low functioning special needs. Anyway, sometime in the 1970s, Geraldo Rivera, that was kind of his claim to fame. He went in, um, he got into Willowbrook and did an un, and did a and did a, a video reporting of the atrocities that were taking place there, the abuse, the filthy conditions. Um, and it wasn't connected to the residents there being black or white, just that they were they were cast aside like, like garbage and they were wards of the state and they were being abused. I mean, babies were born there um, of the residents that were the products of the some of the staff that worked there. There was abuse, there was death, covered up, sickness, um, just, you know, very, very low numbers of staff to, to residents. And so, so I, I heard that. And then of course there's a, a famous movie with Robert De Niro, which I can't remember right now, that kind of talks about a boy's, this part of the plot is around a boy's, um, a boy's juveniles facility. Do you remember the movie I'm talking about with Robert De Niro where he's the priest? Oh, yes. Brad Pitt's in that too, isn't he? Right, um, right. Yeah, it's a, it's like a cult classic. Right, I right. So, so, but that's fiction, right? But it yeah. could very easily be based on something real. Yeah. You know? I, I would imagine that these kinds of atrocities happened all over, all over the country. To all of those who are marginalized, to all of those who are not in the majority or not in power, your connection to Willowbrook makes me connect this in my head as well to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the King Kesey, Ken Kesey right. novel about the mental institution. And there again, in that one, we have kind of the outsider as the narrator, just like with Elwood in this one, and then Turner as well, where it's somebody who shouldn't have been in there, who's telling us what really went on so that we can see it, expose it, and 
hopefully not let it happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that this book tells the story and brings it to life. And, you know, last week when I talked to Ms. Fowler, I talked about wanting to be a witness, wanting to, to be there to hear the stories of our students and to hear the stories of people who feel marginalized through books and through just listening to all of the people around me. Sleepers, that's the movie, Sleepers. <laughs> yes, that is the name of the movie. Sleepers, 1996, most of our students won't have been born yet, but if Netflix has the movie Sleepers, um, it's a it's a great movie. Very, you know, make sure you get your parents' permission. Very sensitive content in that movie. Mm -hmm. Yes. With I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that one, and you know, that has some interesting twists in it, too. Yes, very interesting. Yes. Some choices have to be made in that movie. Yeah. In order to get justice. That's all I'm going to say. So why is that? Why is it that it's always a hard choice and a twist and violence that helps to finally bring to light those who are marginalized and finally lets their story be told? Because that's, those, are the, those are the extreme catalysts for social change, unfortunately. That's just, just yeah. part, of, part of human nature that with, it doesn't seem that without, without suffering that social change is, is able to, to be enacted, that someone has to suffer, someone has to experience some sort of, of suffering or, or atrocity in order for change to be generated by outrage. Well, yes, but I don't want people to have to suffer. No, no, no one, no one does, but- um, I know. But here we are, right? Um, here we are. If you think about any social change that's taken place in the last 10 years, I mean, ever, but let, let, like for our students, right? So there are students range in age from 14 to 18, 19 at this, at this stage in the game. So any social change, anything that they can re you know, remember that's happened in their lifetime that has changed in our society, that's made life better for people, it's come out of injustice and suffering um, that's, that's taken place. And so, um, and I, I just feel like that's gonna continue, you know, to, to be that way. I mean, let, let's go back to Hurricane Katrina. Our kids were little then, our students at Brandon High School, but um, if we go back to Hurricane Katrina, the way that Hurricane Katrina impacted our, you know, or impacted our country, but particularly the state of Louisiana, Things have changed now with regard to how we provide hurricane relief and the expectations we have for people with regard to evacuation. And we've made accommodations for pets and we take things a lot more seriously and we've, we've improved our communication, but, but people perished. Right. It's, on the, it's on, the, on the lives of people that that change was made. And then Puerto Rico, I... I... I don't think they still have full power after the yes. hurricane, but I do know that we had quicker adapted to helping people who fled from that. And so like our school system for a year after it offered a Puerto Rican diploma for people who were displaced, uh, but had been in school down there, you know. That's, I knew right. That's right. So, um, you know, I mean, t t terror attacks have changed the landscape of 
national security. I mean, we could talk about this forever. We need a social studies teacher on here for this, but Mrs. Huff, I've really enjoyed being part of this and um, I miss our Eagles. I only wish they could be here and be part of this discussion. Yeah, me too. And I think that I'm just called overall to try to help move the lever and to try to ease suffering of those around me because those who are screaming for social change inevitably have gone through lots of pain and i am motiv i am motivated by those who have experienced atrocities and and who will experience atrocities and who are willing to share their stories to move that lever and and i am always i'm always going to be ready to listen mm -hmm. um and and give them and make sure that that they have a voice well then for now hopefully it's enough that everyone listening out there and all the students at brandon know that there are people who will listen that you will listen and you are in a position of authority at the school we will all listen and they should always feel empowered whether they're a brandon high school eagle or a USF bull, or a UF gator, or a rattler, or whatever the case may be. They should always feel empowered to tell their story just like Elwood did, and not succumb to the, not succumb to the system, always fight for what's right, and always stand up for what you believe in, and, um, and just know that, and just know that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. There are people in your corner, just like Turner was in Elwood's corner all the way, you know, to the end and, and beyond. Um, he, um, he gave Elwood life after death, so to speak. So I, if you haven't read the book, we still have copies at school. And, and when um, you come for locker pickup, locker contents pickup, if you want to request a copy of the book, we will gladly give you one. It would be a great summer reading. So um, please ask and we'll be happy to give you one. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mrs. Huff, for helping us pick this amazing book. We're so looking forward to next year and all yes. of our great book club selections for next year. Thank you so much for meeting with me today. Have a good Thanks. day.